All right. Um, hey, we are in the middle. We're, we're actually getting close to the end of our series in the book of Ezekiel. Don't applaud. Um, I mean, Ezekiel can be a rough book. I mean, Ezekiel has, uh, has a lot in it, and it can be a little rough. But we are, as we get to the end, we're finding that there is, we're, we're leaning more into hope. And that's a wonderful thing. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. And once you find that, whether you're on an app or whether you're in your Bible or the Pew Bible, once you find Ezekiel 37, let's all stand together in honor of God and His Word as I read this passage for us. Ezekiel chapter 37, we'll be reading these 14 verses. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. They were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, all right, he said, Son of, that's the Lord calling. That's exactly how this works. See, we ask for the Spirit to show up, and the Spirit just calls right away. All right. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, prophesy over the bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and, you will and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves. I will raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. I will place you in your own land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. This is one of the most famous of the passages in Ezekiel, probably next to the heart of, heart of flesh to heart of stone. This might be when you think of Ezekiel, the valley of the dry bones. This might be what you would think about. Now, um, 
the problem is we can't start at the beginning of the passage because the beginning of the passage is not actually where the passage starts. As a matter of fact, as we think about Ezekiel, as we make sense of this passage, we have to be reminded of where we are at with Ezekiel and who Ezekiel was. Ezekiel was a priest who was turned prophet, and Ezekiel was called to speak to the house of Israel, to prophesy to the house of Israel, at actually not the high point of Israel's history. If you wanted the high point of Israel's history, you might go to David, or you might go to the time of Solomon when they were building the temple, but this is not the high point, is it? This is after years and years of disobedience that, that after time after time of disobedience and idolatry and injustice and infidelity and disobedience that the people of Israel had reached a low point. And Ezekiel was called at a low point in the life of Israel. And this was one of the things that we talked about with the book of Ezekiel is we don't get to choose where we're born into the story, do we? We don't get to choose. We happen to be born at a certain time in human history, and faithfulness might look a little different at this time in human history than it did maybe at other times in human history. And so we don't get to choose where we're born. Ezekiel didn't get to choose where he was born. And God had been gracious and forgiving for so many years, and he had warned and they had disobeyed. And God had warned again, and he had disobeyed. And God had warned again, and they had disobeyed. And the thing about God, we read in Exodus that, that the Lord God is gracious and merciful, that he's slow to anger and abounding in love, and that he is gracious and merciful and gracious and merciful until he isn't. And we remembered that time. You remember a few, a few weeks ago we talked about um, before World War II, you had uh, Chamberlain, and he was trying to appease Hitler in Europe with diplomacy. And he, he came back and he said, peace in our time, peace in our time. And the next month, Hitler invaded Poland, right? Peace in our time. And then Churchill comes in and he gives this speech in front of Congress, in front of the parliament, and it's his famous speech. And he says, what is our policy? Our policy is to wage war. The time of diplomacy had ended. And for God with the nation of Israel, for some reason or another, the time of diplomacy had ended. The time of warning had ended, and the only thing that could happen now is he would call on the Babylonians, the Babylonians of all people, to come and to do the discipline that he needed to. And essentially what we have seen in the, in the book of Ezekiel is that God was stripping, Yahweh was stripping the nation of all of its identity markers, all of the pillars of who they were. For example, the covenant I will be your God, you will be my people, I will protect you. God was stripping that away. He was knocking down that pillar. One of the other identity markers is the land, that this is the promised land, and God had given us this land, and God was saying, I'm taking you out of that land. Maybe one of the most significant markers was Jerusalem, that God had said, I will make my dwelling place in the temple in Jerusalem, and that had been removed. The temple had been knocked down. The temple had been destroyed. The Davidic king, that there would be a king in the likeness of David over you, and all of the leadership of Israel had fallen. So all of these pillars had fallen down. And the first part of Ezekiel is about the destruction of each and every one of these pillars. The covenant, the land, the Davidic kingship, and Jerusalem. And really what happens is, as soon as Ezekiel hears there's a refugee that comes in and says, Jerusalem has fallen. And Ezekiel, all the way up to that point, it was all bad news, all bad news. It was going downhill. 
And when this refugee comes in, God says, okay, now, Ezekiel, it's time. It's time to give hope. It's time to give good news. And the second half of Ezekiel is about the restoration of these pillars, about re-erecting these pillars of land, of covenant, of kingship. But they're not going to look exactly as they had thought. But the point of this is that the middle of this is the low point. The people of Israel are taken to the low point. And Ezekiel is with them in the low point. Yahweh is actually with them in the low point. But in verse 11 is where we need to start this passage. So look in verse 11. This is actually the beginning of this passage. What inaugurates this passage is what they say in verse 11. And in verse 11, he said, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, this is what the house of Israel had said. After all of those things, after all of the, the, the pillars are toppling down, and they cannot say Yahweh is protecting us. They cannot say we have a king like David. They cannot say that Jerusalem is the dwelling place of God. They cannot say that they're in the land. They cannot say any of these things. And this is what they say instead. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. And we are indeed cut off. That's the beginning of this passage. That's the beginning of this. In the Septuagint, in the, in the Greek translation of this, they say our bones have become withered, our hope is destroyed, we have been deserted. And I think, so I, I know this sounds a little weird, but um, I, I think for one thing, when we did Psalms a couple of years ago, a couple summers ago, we did a series in Psalms and we talked about there are times where God orients us and like Psalm 1 is a great orienting verse like um, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers but, but delights in the law of the Lord. That's, a, that's an orienting Psalm. But there are some times where we do not experience orientation, right? That Psalm 88 was our, the last word in Psalm 88 is my only friend is darkness, <laughs> right? And maybe, I don't know, Maybe you have experienced, we've all experienced disorientation before God to varying degrees. Not everybody perhaps has experienced like the bottom of the pit. Psalm 88 is the bottom of the pit. It's not about going down into the pit or about maybe coming back up out of the pit. It's just sitting at the bottom of the pit. But this is where this story, this vision, this begins. The bottom of the pit, we have been, dry, we have been cut off. He says our bones have been dried up. Now, in Hebrew thought, in Hebrew thought, um, moist, this sounds so gross, sorry. Moist, oily, or sappy bones is a way of saying you're in good spirits. I know! Isn't that weird? Like, talk about a strange thing, like say, man, my bones, I, I feel, my bones feel really, really juicy today, right? But, that, but in Hebrew thought, that's what they say. And so, it, like in Proverbs 3.8, it says, Fearing the Lord and turning away from evil will be healing to the body and like a drink to your bones. Okay? Or like in, in Proverbs 15.30, it says that good news, good news oils the bones. I mean, isn't that, it's, 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 it's strange to us. We don't say those sorts of things. We might say, we're in good spirits, but they're like, my bones are feeling good. But despair and grief are the opposite. When you have dry bones, 
It's when you are saying you have been utterly dispirited. A stricken spirit dries up the bones, is what Proverbs 17.22 says. And they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost. They also say we, we are cut off, and cut off is, when you're cut off in Hebrew thought, cutting, being cut off is like being dead or being abandoned. And what they're saying is, we have, we have been, we've lost all hope, all, all these things have been knocked down. We've witnessed the, 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 the pillaging of our country. We've been taken captive into a foreign land. How can we sing the song of the Lord in a foreign land? How do we do this? All of these things are gone. And we've been abandoned by God. And this is when the Lord says to Ezekiel, I want to show you something. And now we can begin our passage. Because verse 11 is, when, is what prompts Ezekiel into this experience. And the Lord says, okay, verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit, in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Now, the hand of the Lord being upon Ezekiel, this has happened before in the book. And when it says that the hand of the Lord is upon Ezekiel and he's taken out in the spirit, it means he's having a visionary experience. He had this before when he was in the temple. He was brought, he's in Babylon, he's in this refugee camp by the Kabar Canal, but he's taken up by the Lord and he's given a vision of the temple. But it said that he was, the hand of the Lord was upon him and he was taken out in the spirit. And that's what's happening here, that he's being given this visionary experience. And in this visionary experience, God takes him into a valley. And this valley is full of, it's not full of skeletons. It's worse than that. It's full of disjointed bones. And this is the image. So, if, you're ever, if you ever go out and conquer the known world or you lead a great army, here's where you do not want to fight. You want to fight from the high ground, right? Right? You want to fight, you want to get a position where you have an advantage over your enemy, and that's the high ground. If you're fighting from the high ground, you've got a good shot. Where you don't want to end up fighting is where? In the valley. Because if you're fighting in the valley, it means that there's high ground all around you. And what the image here is, is that there's been an army that has been in a battle, and they ended up not fighting from the high ground. They ended up in the valley where their enemies could destroy them. This is why the valley, like in Psalm 23, is called the valley of the shadow of death. Death happens. Death doesn't go uphill. Death goes downhill. And if you're in the valley, if you're in the pit, that's the place of death. And this is what Ezekiel is being shown. He's being shown a battlefield where there's a valley and there are all these bones that are in it. Now, these bones are not they are not moist, are they, right? Sorry, I don't really want to use that word anymore. Um, uh, but they're not, they are not, they're not, they're not um, oiled up. They're not happy. They're not, they're not together. There's not even body on them, right? This, the slaughter has happened long ago because there's not, they've, they've not even, they're not just decomposing, it's not even that there's skeletons that are hanging together. These bones have been bleached by the sun over decades. 
And it says that there are many, there's a great army who had lost, and the bones are dry, and they're not just dry, they're very dry. They're, lo- they're not just dead, they're long dead, dried out by time. So it's not the valley of skeletons, it's the valley of scattered bones. And in verse 3, God says to Ezekiel, he has a question for him, son of man, can these bones live? I love that God, I mean, this is a little aside here. God is going to do something, and we read the passage, and we know what he's going to do. But in order to get Ezekiel on board, so Ezekiel, Ezekiel has an answer for him, but God leads, and I think sometimes he does this with us too, he leads us with a question. Remember when the apostle Paul is struck down the road to Damascus? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, stop persecuting me. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because he wants Saul to think about it. Why am I persecuting these Christians, right? Or like Elijah, when Elijah goes and he runs from Jezebel and he he goes into this cliff and he comes out and, and God says to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? Like it's a leading question. He wants him to think about it. And so God says to Ezekiel, hey, Ezekiel, Look at this valley of bones, dead, dry. Can these bones live? You tell me, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel gives a very diplomatic answer, doesn't he? I heard when I read this, somebody, somebody shouted out, yes, and that is not Ezekiel's answer, <laughs> right? It's not. Ezekiel's like, not, he's not like, well, of course they can live. No, because Ezekiel's looking at this damage. He's looking at this, and he's like, well, it's doubtful, but you are God. So he says, Lord, you know. It's a very diplomatic answer. The idea here is that there's, there really is no way for these dry bones to live without some miraculous work of God. So look at 37.4. So then he said to me, Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you. I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover your skin and I will put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And the big question, the big question here about the dry bones is, is about life. Can they live? And if they can live, what will bring life? Because if you answer the first question, can these live? Can these live? You might say, well, Lord, you're God and you can do this. But the question then that would follow is how? How will these dry bones live? And the answer in Hebrew, the answer in Hebrew is one word, and it's the word ruach. It's the word ruach, and you got to say at the end because it's Hebrew, right? The word is ruach, and ruach is is a really interesting word because it's a Hebrew word that can do a lot of things, and in this passage, it does a lot of things. It can be translated sometimes as spirit, it can be translated sometimes as wind, and it can be translated sometimes as breath. And in this passage, it is translated as all three of those things. It actually occurs in this passage 11 times, and it's translated all three ways. But to the question of, can these bones live? God is going to say, yes. 
But to the question of how will these bones live, how can they come back to life, the answer is ruach, spirit, wind, breath. And ruach, ruach is this really interesting idea in Hebrew thought. So in Genesis 1, in Genesis chapter 1, you guys know your, your Hebrew Bible. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, was, uh, in the beginning uh, God created the heavens and the earth, right? I was going to John there, but let's stick with Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the, and the Ruach of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God, that's probably how your Bible translates it. The Ruach of God is hovering over the waters. In Genesis 6.17, it says that everything living on the earth is said to have in its lungs the ruach of life. The, and you probably have in your Bible the breath of life. If you're alive, it's because you have ruach. It's because you have the breath in your lungs. You have ruach in your lungs. Or, or if you're Hebrew, you would say you have ruach in your nostrils. Right? So we're just getting grosser and grosser here. Okay. All right. And then in Exodus 14, here's a great one. In Exodus 14, so... Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, right? And he comes to the Red Sea, and he takes his staff, and he plunks it down on the ground, and the waters part. Do you remember why the waters part? It says that God causes a strong eastern ruach to go over the water and to part the water. And this idea of ruach is the idea of an unseen, mysterious but powerful movement of God. Let me say that again. Ruach in the Hebrew thought is the unseen, mysterious, we don't know why things live and die, but they've got ruach, right? Powerful movement of God. When God moves and it's unseen or mysterious or powerful, the Hebrews would say, that's ruach. And what we would say, that's the spirit, and they would say spirit, wind, breath. It's all of those things. You think about all of those things. Actually, when you get into the New Testament, they translate the word ruach with the word pneuma, air. If you have a pneumatic tool, it's a tool that's powered by air, right? And in the Gospel of John, Jesus will say as much. He'll say, hey, the wind blows here and there, and nobody knows where it's coming from or where it's going to. So it is with the spirit. And actually, in, in that passage, when Jesus says that, he says, the pneuma moves here and forth. Nobody knows where it's going or where it's coming from. So it is with the pneuma. Like he actually uses the same word. And he's bringing up this idea that it's translating from Old Testament to New Testament that the unseen, mysterious, but powerful movement of God is this idea that the Spirit of God is doing these things. And so to the question, if the question, Son of Man, can these bones live, is ambiguous to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was like, well, I don't know, you know, Lord. And we might say it's, oh, it's a valley of bleached bones that aren't even together. Like, can they live? Probably not, right? But if they were to live, how would they live? The answer is not ambiguous. The only way that something comes to life is ruach. The only way, let me say this again, the only way that something comes to life is because God breathes His Spirit into it. And 
and God is going to make this point to Ezekiel. He's going to make it very clear because it's, it's this, there's going to be this two-stage process. I don't know. I'm getting pretty pumped up here because this is pretty cool stuff. The only way that something lives is if God breathes His Spirit into it. Whether it's a baby, whether it's a person, whether it's a thing, whether it's a movement, the only way it will live is if God breathes His Spirit into it and on it. How can anything live? The unseen, mysterious, but powerful movement of God has to do it. And so in Ezekiel 37.5, thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause ruach to enter into you. And the next section punctuates this need for ruach. You guys with me? Go to verse 7. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones began to come together bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no ruach in them. Ezekiel is told, this is, I, we're going to talk, at the end, we, I want to talk about this, but Ezekiel is told to prophesy over the bones. It's like, God could do this, but he's like, Ezekiel, I just need you to speak to the bones on my behalf. Would you speak to the bones on my behalf? Ezekiel's like, you want me to speak to the bones on your behalf? Okay, but we'll get there. It says there's a sound, and then the, the, the rat, there's a rattling or a rustling. It's the idea that an earthquake begins, and there's a sound that comes with an earthquake. There's a rumbling that comes with the earthquake, and everything starts to shake. I was in um, Turkey with a bunch of pastors. They were all from Texas, and they were like, and, and from the south, and they were like, um, you know, I could never live in California because of all these earthquakes. And I was like, well, I could never live where you live because of all those tornadoes. Like, um, and, you know, and I was like, you want to know how we deal with earthquakes in Southern California? This is how we deal with earthquakes. So I, I, we were at dinner. I took the table. I was like, and then we sat there, and I was like, did we just have an earthquake? And then you call your friends. Did anybody feel the earthquake? Like, they're like, you don't, even, you don't go under door, door jams or anything like that? I'm like, no, we just watched the chandelier swing. That's it. Anyway, but in this case, and if you've ever been in a big earthquake, you know that they would come with rumbling, rattling. And there's rumbling. And the bones began to come together. And then it says that all these barriers to the life of these bones begin to get taken out. So they get sinews on them. They get tendons. They get ligaments on these bones. The right bones are connected to the right bones, right? They start to get, they're not, just, they're not scattered, they all start to come together like a real skeleton. And then they start to get tendons and ligaments, and then they start to get muscles on them. And then they start to get skin on top of that, and all the tissue comes together. But they're not alive. Like, think about, think about what an amazing miracle it would be to see that happen, but that's not enough. Like, how awesome would that be to see God reconstitute these bones into human bodies. How amazing would that be? But for this, it's not enough. And he's punctuating this point that you cannot simply have the cosmetics of being a human being. You cannot simply have the cosmetics where you kind of look alive. You need to have ruach. You've got to have the unseen, powerful, but mysterious movement of God 
in your lungs and in your veins. You need ruach. No breath. And this is kind of the situation, if you remember back to Genesis chapter 2, because it says that God formed the man, Adam, from the dust of the ground. And you think, like, how awesome is that? Because it was out of, out of dust of the ground. He forms a human being, but there is no breath. And so what does God have to do? He has to breathe into him the breath of life. And this, is, this passage is much like that. You have all of these, it was bones in the valley, now it's bodies in the valley. But still no breath. And so Ezekiel was told at one point, talk to the bones, prophesy to the bones. He's like, you wanted me to prophesy to the bones? Yeah, prophesy to the bones. Okay, talk to the bones. And now, now God says, look at verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the ruach. Talk to the breath. Talk to the breath. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four ruachs and breathe, O breath, on these slain that they may live. So um, ruach, four times in this verse, one time is wind, the four winds is the word ruach, every time else with breath is ruach, say to the breath, prophesy to the breath, say to the breath, O breath, breathe on these slain that they may live. Because here's the thing. The goal is not to look alive. The goal is to be alive. And God is making doing this two-stage process with the bones. He's like, that's amazing. Like I could see Ezekiel saying, that's amazing, that's amazing. You reconstituted all these bodies. And God's like, the goal is not to have a, a valley full of bodies. The goal is to have life. That's the goal. The goal is life. They lived. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. Ruach came into them, and they lived. They stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This, once, this army that was once slaughtered in this valley has now been reconstituted and reborn once again. And thus the vision ends with this great army constituted in the valley. But God's not done. He speaks to Ezekiel. You've prophesied to the bones. You've even prophesied to the ruach, to the spirit. But now, Ezekiel, I need you to speak to another party. I need you to speak to the house of Israel. I need you to prophesy to the house of Israel. Verse 12, therefore prophesy, say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and I will raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise your graves, O my people. And of course, this is one of the places where you have an Old Testament prophecy that is begging to be interpreted in light of what Jesus has done on the cross and with the resurrection. You will know that I am the Lord when I open the grave. And not only when I open the grave, you might think like, how awesome would it be? Like the tomb was open. You're like, how awesome is that, that the tomb was open? But that's not the point, is it? The point is not just to have an open tomb. The point is to have an empty tomb. 
Open the tomb and raise the dead. I will open your graves and I will raise the dead. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. You shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. Following the pattern of Adam, implying that right now the nation of Israel, they might look alive, but much like the dead bodies in the valley, they have not had the inspiration of the Spirit. The Ruach has not had its way with them. They are like the dead. And what they need is they need a fresh infusion of the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God, the unseen, mysterious, miraculous, and powerful movement of God. And this, this, I, this passage gosh, you know, there's, there's a number of things that strike me about this passage. And even, even now, I just, like, I, I feel like the passage does enough work on its own. Like, now it's like, I just feel like, okay, now use your imagination with your own life. <laughs> That's what I feel like doing. Like, okay, now dismiss. Let's go have lunch. Because it's so, it's such a powerful image of seeing something that is long dead, a lost cause. Something that if anyone were to look at it and you would say, well, what do you think about that? You'd be like, well, it's dead. And this is a powerful image of taking a lost cause, something that is long dead, dry bones, and reviving it. I think one thing for me in this passage is just the, how willing God is to do something miraculous. I think today we're, we're like, look, hey, look, Pastor Craig, we're very sensible people here. And if we get started on this whole miraculous thing, like, look, it's going to be weird, and people are going to get their hopes up about things, and it's going to just be all, it's just gonna be all weird. But the one thing, I don't know if you can get away from here, if you've read Ezekiel, and if you followed along and you kept score at home, I think one thing is, I'm amazed at how willing God is and how much He wants to do something on this earth. Not just to turn us over to be sensible people, but that he actually wants to do something powerful and mysterious. I think the other thing that strikes me about this passage is not only does God want to do something miraculous, but what strikes me in this passage is how much he wants to do it with us. Like, this was the thing I always remember hearing, you know, the Valley of the Dry Bones, and as a preacher, you're like, I get to preach on the Valley of the Dry Bones. Like, this is, this is like the good passage, right? It's not like the guest speaker passage. This is like the passage that the pastor wants to preach on. Because it's, it's so awesome. It's so great. But in, in studying, and I remember, the, oh, yeah, God, God makes the, you know, it's like God shows up and everything starts to happen. But what struck me in this case, in this reading, was it wasn't like God showed up and he said, hey, Ezekiel, watch this, you know, like, I'm going to do this. And, and God just does it. He says, no, Ezekiel, I need you. I need you. I need you to speak to the bones. Now, again, I think you put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes. I don't even know how you would have responded to his first question. Like, can these bones live? Like, imagine yourself in that same experience, looking over the bones, and God saying to you, hey, insert your name here. Can these bones live? And maybe you're like, of course they can, Lord. You are God. Or maybe you're like, 
It's going to be hard, God. Or like, look, God, I don't know what you're up to, but those bones are dead. Like, whatever you're going to say, but, but now go to the second. Let's say you, even, you, you have a good diplomatic answer like Ezekiel, right? And you say, okay, you know, Lord, right? But then let's say, put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes. And, and then God says to you, like, hey, but what I need you to do is I need you to talk to the bones. I need you to do it. I need you to start the process. I need you to tell the bones to come to life because I can do it. Look, I'm God. I can do it any way I want, but the way I want to do it is I want you to be part of it. What would your response be? Gosh, I look kind of stupid talking to the bones. Like, I don't know, God. I just don't want to get my hopes up about the bones. Like, what if they don't come to life? I'll look really dumb. But what strikes me here is how God is like, hey, I want to do something, I want to do something that people are going to talk about for literally thousands of years. And Ezekiel, I want you to get it started. I, and all I want you to do is what I've, what I've empowered you to do, which is to prophesy to the bones. Just start talking to the bones. And Ezekiel starts talking to the bones. And then there's all these bodies. And then God says, okay. Still got more work to do. And Ezekiel, I don't want you to just talk to the bones. I want you to call on the Spirit to come and fill the bones. I want you to call, I want you to talk to the Ruach. And again, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where, I, even for me, imagining this, like, okay, God, like, okay, God, I don't know what this is going to accomplish. Like, what are my words going to accomplish? And what God would say is, your words are just part of the story. But the way this works is if I'm going to work, we are going to work. We are going to do it. We're going to do it together. You're going to be obedient. You are going to prophesy, and I will work, and it'll be some mysterious combination of your words and my power and the Spirit of God, and something amazing is going to happen. But I need you to speak to the bones. I think, you know, in this room, if I were to ask you, well, first of all, if I were to ask you to just name something in your life that you have just felt is dead, but you know it should be alive, but it's dead, whether maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's just some part of you that you feel like at some point died, maybe it's some cause or something that you've hoped for for a long time, but you've long since kind of given up hope on. Like, if I were to ask you to name that out, that would put, like, I don't know, that would be such a vulnerable place to actually be. I don't know if you've ever done this with anyone in your life where you've actually said, this is one thing that I want more than anything else, but I cannot get myself to say it. I can't get myself to, to get my hopes up. I've had my hopes up before, and they've been dashed. I don't, like, if we were to do that out loud, how vulnerable it would be. And I think even in this case, you think about what the nation of Israel said, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and we have been cut off. I think even for Ezekiel, think about Ezekiel, that the first step was not speaking to the bones. 
Like the first step was going from hopelessness to having hope. And then out of hope, he spoke to the bones. And I think for us, as we are in a place, you might be with whatever it is that you might feel like is dead in your life or something that needs to be alive, but you have long wanted it to live and it has not come to life, that there is this idea, there's this, there's this posture of losing hope. The first step in this is not just speaking to the bones, the first step is refining your hope. And I would say this, um, I mean, I, I think I've told the story a few times, but um, back when we were a younger family, we had friends and they had a son who had a, a genetic disorder and uh, his body was shutting down. And uh, we were praying, we, we, decided to, we decided to pray f- with them, not just that God's will would be done, we actually decided to pray that God would heal this young boy and that we would be unashamed about praying that God would heal this young boy. Not just that God's will would be done, but that God would heal the young boy because the parents, were not, the parents wanted him to live. And we wanted him to live. And we were like, well, why, would we, why should we not simply join them in their prayer? That they were actually speaking to the bones. Like, they weren't like, and, and when, as we did this, it was interesting the different responses of people. Because we, pray, we were literally praying for a miracle. And there were, I mean, there were, all, there were all kinds of well-meaning responses, but one of the responses was, you know, if we pray for this and God doesn't do it, we're just getting our hopes up. And, and I've had that thought before, and I've, that's probably come out of my mouth before, and I've, I've since repented of that, but um, here's the deal. Like, we're here because Jesus rose from the dead. If there's anything that we should get up, it is our hope. If there's anything that we should get up, it's our hope. If there's anything that we should rely on, it's the idea that God wants to do something in this world and He wants to partner with us in doing it. So let's start talking to the bones. Speak to the bones. What's dead in your life? I don't know what it is. I would imagine something's coming to your mind. It's time to speak to the bones. It's time to say, God, I don't want these as bones. I want them as a living, breathing thing. I want this to come to life. And yes, maybe you'll change my mind on this, but I, this is something that I want, that I'm, I, and I think you're asking for it. And so I'm not just going to wait for you to do it. I am going to take Ezekiel's example, and I want to be part of it. I'm going to start to actually say out loud what I want what I'm asking for. Jesus says, look, if you're going to pray, the first thing you need to do when you pray is to ask. It's the only currency we have in the kingdom of God. We don't have our good stuff to trade God for, like, hey God, if I do this really awesome thing, can I trade it for this other thing that I really want? We don't get that. That's not the currency we get. The only currency we have in God's kingdom is our asking. That's it. That's it. That's all we have. And what I'm saying is that as we look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel, it's time to ask. If God wants to do something in the world and he's saying, I want to do it, but I want to partner with you, the way he's partnering with us is he's saying, I want you to ask. I want you to ask. And ultimately, I don't know what he's going to do. Lord, you know, right? But here's the thing. I don't want to live my life of faith thinking that God is not, cannot do it. 
I don't want to live my life of faith thinking God can't do this and so I'm not going to ask. What I want is I want to have a robust faith that God can do anything and that what he wants to do is he wants to partner with me in bringing it to fruition. And look, if that sounds like it's too, that's too out there, that's too charismatic, that's too miraculous, like whatever. Like I, honestly, I don't care. Like I, I'm reading Ezekiel and Ezekiel is prophesying to bones because God told him to. Unlike the nation of Israel who was disobedient, Ezekiel's like, I'm going to be obedient. And if he asks me to prophesy to bones, I'm going to prophesy to bones. If Jesus says, I want you to ask, then be obedient and ask. As vulnerable as it makes us feel, yes, it does. As uncomfortable as it makes us feel. And here's the other thing. If you feel like, if you, feel like you can't do it, this is why we live in community. This is why, like, if you feel like you can't do it, grab someone after service and say, I need you to pray. I need you to speak to the bones for me because I don't know if I can do it. And you know what? There will be people here who will say, I would be happy to speak to the bones for you. And maybe one day you'll feel like you can speak as well, but let's do it together. Let's do this together. God wants to do it. So let's just, let's just bow for a second, and I'll ask the worship team to come on up. But probably in the sermon, something has been on your mind, something that is long since dead. Something that you have grieved, something that you do not know what to do with that grief, something that is dead, gone, whatever it is. But something that you have the sense that God wants alive. I simply want just very quietly, you want to whisper it, but just to say it very quietly to yourself. Even while I'm talking, you can just say it. I'll just speak over it, but you can just say it quietly to yourself. Just speak it. The beginning of the process of speaking out. And that, just to, to give that an opportunity to get out into the air, to say that. And Father, even if these things have not been spoken out loud, you know our hearts. You know that we want your spirit. Father, we know, you know that what in our lives are these dry bones. And so we ask, Father, that today you would begin the process of beginning the rattling, that the bones would come together, and that more than anything, Father, as we sang at the beginning of the service, we want your spirit to come and breathe life. Oh, if there's anything we want, Father, it is your spirit to come and breathe life. And so we ask you, Father, as your children, would you breathe life into the dead things in our lives? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.